This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Okay, we got a lot more to get to here. 403-974-8255 is our number. I want to revisit uh, the issue of Lyme disease. And we talked about this uh, not too long ago. How concerned we should be, what we should be watching out for, what we need to learn about Lyme disease. Uh, it was interesting because... Um, well, for a number of reasons, because there, there's certainly controversy around this notion of what some call chronic Lyme disease. How many cases are really out there? Uh, are there people who are suffering from, from different ailments who maybe have undiagnosed Lyme disease? There are people who go abroad, particularly to, to the United States, for testing and maybe getting false positive diagnoses. And uh, are, are they being treated? Should they be treated? So it does raise a, raise a lot of questions. How much of a threat is Lyme disease here in Alberta? Alberta Health has has asked people to submit ticks to the uh, tick surveillance program. It's interesting. It's only about 2% of the ticks tested last year actually carried Lyme disease. So perhaps we'll learn whether or not this year is different, but these are actually the numbers from last year for 2016. 2,781 ticks were submitted. Only 181 were the black-legged variety that can carry Lyme disease, and of those, only 34 were positive. So that's 2% of the uh, total number of ticks. So, yeah, okay, it's out there. How concerned should we be? Joining us for some thoughts on all this, very pleased to welcome the program here today, uh, Lenora Saxinger, infectious disease specialist at the University of Alberta Hospital. Uh, Dr. Saxinger, welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, so Lyme disease, is uh, it's a bacterial infection, right? That's correct. It's uh, Borrelia burgdorferi and some other species in other countries. Because it's confusing, right? When we call it a disease, but it's, it's a bacterial infection, but that's just that's what it's referred to as. That's correct, yeah. yeah. So like any other bacterial infection that would be treated with antibiotics. Yep. So the, um, the, the infection is transmitted by the bite of a tick, which has picked up the infection, usually from a cycle involving other mammals. Humans are kind of incidental to the whole thing. And um, people can get uh, initially a rash and an illness that can seem almost like a viral illness, and then sometimes can progress to involve, for example, arthritis or heart effects or neurologic effects over time because it can be a disseminated infection, which means it can affect other areas in the body. Right. So, I mean, there can be more serious consequences if it's untreated and undiagnosed. Absolutely. Yes, there can be. Of course, some, some people actually are infected um, and are found to be, you know, blood test positive in areas where there's lots of Lyme disease many years later and actually are fine. So you don't have to get terribly sick, but there is a possibility of getting quite sick with Lyme disease. Uh, but it's not a localized infection like, say, you know, strep throat or an ear infection where it's, it, it's harder to detect, isn't it? Um, yeah, the usual detection is, I mean, you can't just do a simple swab culture test. Um, it's actually hard to culture the bacteria. So most of the testing re- relies on looking for your body's immune response to the bacteria, um, which is why it sometimes can be um, difficult to test for very early on. And uh, repeating the test a couple weeks later might increase your chances of finding that reaction. But um, yeah, so it does require a combination of your exposure history, the clinical scenario, and also the the testing. All right. Now, now typically, Alberta hasn't been a real hotspot for Lyme disease. Is, is there reason to think that that has changed or is changing? Um, we, we don't think that we've had cases of Lyme disease in Albertans who have not 
imported it from elsewhere so far. So the public health data suggests that pretty much everyone that we've diagnosed with Lyme disease in Alberta actually acquired it probably somewhere else. Um, but because we have found the occasional tick that's capable of spreading the disease, you can never say never. And it, it is clear that possibly related changes in, in temperature over time, the, the range of the ticks could continue to expand. And so that's why I actually think it's, it's very good that public health is doing the extra surveillance. They're both, they're both testing the ticks that people bring in um, off people and off dogs or other animals. And they're also testing just by going out and kind of basically looking for ticks in the environment and testing those as well. And so a combination of those results will be really useful to see if the risk is actually really going up substantially. Right. So just, just because we're monitoring does, is not necessarily an indication that it's a growing problem. It's, it's, it's being prudent and pragmatic. Yeah, that, that's correct. I mean, the, uh, Alberta is w- one of the uh, lower um, rate uh, Lyme disease provinces in Canada right now. The, high, the higher risk areas are actually very close um, to the high risk areas in the U.S. where Lyme disease is extremely common. So it kind of makes sense. So the Maritimes, Ontario, um, and a little bit in Quebec and some in B.C. And then elsewhere, it tends to be much lower. There's some focal areas in Manitoba too. So there's actually maps that you can look at for Lyme risk, which I think is useful for people to know because they can take precautions if they're in an area with higher risk. Right. Now, I mean, there, there are those who fear that, well, A, maybe we don't know the true extent. Maybe there are more cases of Lyme disease than, than we realize. Uh, and, and from that, I think people worry that, well, what if I have it? I seem to have these, these symptoms. They can't figure out what's wrong with me. Uh, and, and often people start to go down this path thinking, well, maybe it's Lyme disease. Yeah, that's becoming increasingly common, I think, because of um, the Internet presence of Lyme disease does have, it's, it's kind of like a, two versions <laughs> of, of, of the, the case. And so in my version as an infectious diseases specialist, a human medicine person who sees who sees patients with a variety of infections, um, I have kind of one view of the matter, but you can actually find a very different view if you go looking for different resources on the internet. And so I think there are people who have very strongly held beliefs um, about, about you know, the adequacy of diagnosis and testing and treatment for Lyme disease in Canada, but I actually, having just reviewed it all again, I'm really quite comfortable that we're doing a, a pretty good job. Well, people, yeah, why do people think that we aren't, though? Um, It's a good question. I mean, I think a few things have changed. One thing is the advent of um, for-profit testing centers in the U.S., which have just had increasing volumes of tests sent from all over the world over the past number of years. And um, those tests do appear to have a high false positive rate. And so it, it is not necessarily a test that any of us would base a treatment on by itself. We would want to see our testing, the clinical scenario, if there's suggestion of Lyme that's more than nonspecific symptoms and also an exposure history. So it, it actually can start people down the wrong path because frankly the testing is using methods that we use in labs all the time, but they're, they're using non-validated versions of the testing. And um, like I said, some comparisons suggest that these can give high false positive resi- results, which can be quite misleading, both to patients and their doctors, actually. Uh, And then what often happens after that? What kind of treatment are, are people getting that maybe they don't necessarily need? Well, there was actually a really good publication from the CDC recently about this, where they just described a series of patients who'd been getting high-intensity antibiotic therapy through central lines um, for chronic Lyme disease, um, alternately diagnosed probably chronic Lyme Lyme disease. And um, in all these cases, the patient had a different illness 
um, which was progressing because they weren't on therapy for it. So things like myeloma, lymphoma. Um, there's also been cases of deaths from complications of IV um, access and also um, side effects from antibiotic infusions like C. diff infection. So it's not a benign treatment. And I had one patient who actually had spent $30,000 getting a course of antibiotics at a Lyme treatment center in the U.S. Um, I, I actually was not of the opinion that he had Lyme disease. And although he felt better at the time that he was there, his symptoms had returned. And that actually tends to be the case that um, uh, the, the treatment does not appear to make a difference to the long term um, for patients. And even in studies, there's been some very good studies of people who have had well-documented Lyme disease and have had long, long-term long symptoms thereafter that, so post-Lyme um, disease treatment, um, so chronic post-Lyme disease treatment syndrome, if I can say that, in well-documented Lyme disease and there's been a number of studies trying to see if antibiotics help in that scenario, and they really don't appear to help even when we know for sure the patient had Lyme disease. So there certainly can be troubling symptoms that people have, but it really does seem that antibiotics aren't necessarily the answer for those patients. Right. Well, I mean, we hate uncertainty in general. Certainly when it comes to, to our health, un- uncertainty can be a very scary thing, right? Yeah, and, and actually just having the relief of someone say, I think you have this and I, this is what the treatment is, actually really does, I think, lure a lot of people who have troublesome symptoms that they haven't been getting answers for. It can be very frustrating for people um, if, they, if they're not really getting what they perceived to be, you know, adequate support from the medical system. And these complex chronic uh, syndromes and symptoms can be extremely difficult to sort out, honestly. I think it was a couple of months ago, the, the feds announced uh, some $4 million in um, new funding for Lyme disease research. I mean, is, is there more that we need to learn about this? And is, is that a step in the right direction, do you think? I do. I mean, I think that that was brought about because of a lot of the controversies and, and um, lobby groups who were concerned. But to be honest, the, the output, I think, is very good because we've already seen improvements in surveillance. And um, I think that there is a lot of interest in trying to help untangle, you know, what how, how, are we using the best test to diagnose Lyme disease, really? Um, are we missing something if we're not giving longer antibiotic treatment? And some of these questions, I think, are reasonably well answered right now, and other ones deserve some more, um, some more attention. But I think, um, I think in the meantime, there, there are some vulnerable people who can be at risk because of what I would describe as misinformation. So what's the advice that you give to people if they, they think they, they may have Lyme disease and they may have been, uh, that it may have been missed? Um, what, what, what should people do? If someone has, um, like, th- there are some clinical features of Lyme disease that are important. And if someone has a history that suggests some of those features, doing our testing is very reasonable. And especially if, if the event occurred a while ago, the test is actually accurate. And so we can still do the testing. And unfortunately, if you don't have much of an exposure history, there's still a risk of a false positive with our testing as well, unfortunately. But if, if you have a clinical scenario that kind of matches an exposure history that matches and antibiotic treatment should be given, and if after that there are remaining symptoms, then you're in the scenario of saying, you know what, antibiotics might not be the answer. What is the answer? And in that case, we start looking to things like the complex chronic disease work that's being done in some places like BC, where they're really trying to help people who have these this constellation of symptoms find a way forward. And unfortunately, um, as you were saying, we don't like uncertainty. There's still a lot of uncertainty as to exactly why some people end up in this scenario. And there are some objective abnormalities that you can measure. There are other symptoms that are harder to measure. And 
figuring out what to do with those patients is not my specific area of expertise, okay. but it does look like there's there's some evolving work in that in that regard that is kind of promising, honestly. So I'm quite hopeful that um, medicine will be able to do a better job for those difficult symptoms. And I really, as, as a steward of antibiotics and of someone who doesn't want people to have side effects from something that's not going to benefit them, I'm actually really looking forward to that helping untangle this uh, current controversy. Yeah, let's hope so. Lenora, we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks for the insight and appreciate you making some time for us here today. No problem. Thank you. All right, take care. Uh, That's Dr. Lenora Saxinger, infectious disease specialist at the University of Alberta Hospital, uh, saying that fear and misinformation can drive people into doing things that could be potentially harmful. But it's a tough spot that people find themselves in, and it's still something, Lyme disease, that we we, we need to know more about. But it is is a bacterial infection. That's how it would be treated with antibiotics, like any other bacterial infection. If you're getting an antibiotic treatment that you don't need, there are all kinds of reasons why that's a bad idea. So it'll be interesting to see what the numbers show us this year. So last year, as mentioned, just 2% of the ticks tested in Alberta carried Lyme disease. So it is out there, uh, but the threat is, is rather low. And Dr. Saxinger is suggesting that, you know, with all the hype out there, that, that it's a threat that is overblown. So some important perspective. 403-974-TALK is a number, 974-8255. Back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.